Welcome to Coffee and Tea with Dustin and Abby. This is Dustin Detzer. Um, I'm flying. I'm flying without Abby today. We're still in quarantine, but, but not solo. But not solo. I'm joined with Chad Sloan, my partner in life and podcasting today. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to find me online, I'm on Instagram at Holistic Personal Training eight one two. And if you're interested in any classes I have, I have a link in my bio that goes directly to isyoga.me. That's isyoga.me. And there you can find links, uh, descriptions to purchase my online live Zoom classes, Interspring Yoga PE, which is three days a week, and Interspring Yoga Kettlebell, which is two days a week. And if you can't make the live time for those classes, the recordings are available for 48 hours if you buy the class and you want to do it at a different time. I also have a live recovery yoga flow class on Four Barrel Fitness's Facebook Live. Uh, that's every Thursday. I don't know how long that's available, but it's every Thursday at 9 a.m. Uh, Four Barrel Fitness in New Albany. If you go to their Facebook, I get on there about 10 minutes early. And that's a basically a Hatha yoga class that's designed for people that are doing high intensity workouts and need a recovery day. We work on joint mobility, flexibility, balance, uh, just general recovery. Um, I also want to give a shout out to jubileeofwellness.com, Michelle Finn's uh, company. Uh, it's not a paid sponsorship. I just love her products. They are amazing, particularly the Jubilee Wellness Relax and Sleep Aid Tea. It's a loose leaf tea. It has uh, hemp that's grown in Clark County, Indiana, chamomile, uh, has some other stuff. And according to my aura ring, I get excellent restorative sleep when I drink this tea. I don't feel overly tired or dopey in the morning. It's an amazing product. It's the best thing I've found for sleep, and I've tried a lot of stuff. I'm always... Uh, struggling with sleep, and so that's jubileewellness.com. Uh, today, the theme of the podcast will be adapt and overcome. Since we've found ourselves now in this new situation of quarantine, uh, you know, we've had to, I've had to adapt a lot of things. Uh, so we're just going to kind of go... Chad and I are just going to kind of talk about how that's affected us and yeah. how we've sort of adapted to it and some of the changes we've made. And, you know, hopefully um, if you find yourself thinking that you're dealing with some of the same issues, this might help you out. Yeah. So let's go ahead and start with, let's talk about how we've adapted our, our physical training. Um, yeah, I'll start. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I, as... Dustin will remember <laughs> when this whole thing started to unfold. Uh, I I would say that probably I fell into a pretty bad depression. You know, I'm someone who is, uh, I really rely on my schedule um, to help keep me motivated, to keep me guided, to keep, you know, keep everything that is normally on my schedule to make sure it happens, uh, you know, by keeping that, you know, pretty tight. And then all of a sudden, I think uh, we were talking about this last night, I think it was March uh, 11th is when we got the email from University of Louisville, which is where I work, uh, 
uh, I teach there, and uh, when we got the email that said everything is going to be going online, and so uh, basically, I mean, we were in the middle of spring break during that time, so um, basically what that meant is that my schedule that I had uh, set up for, you know, the best human optimization <laughs> that I could that I could muster um, was now going to, going to be disrupted, and uh, so. All of a sudden, you know, the rug was pulled out from underneath me. I had a really great schedule of uh, going to Dustin's classes, actually, on uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday um, from 8.20 to 8.50, you know. And then uh, Dustin and I had a pretty intense um, workout on the weekend as well. We worked out for probably an hour or so on Saturday, an hour or so on uh, Sunday, uh, and then everything would start over again. Um, so where was I going with that? Yeah. How you've the, adapted your How training. I've adapted to it is, um, you know, I spent probably two weeks after uh, this whole thing unleashed on us, um, a little bit depressed, and uh, I think it was Dustin who one day came and sat down on the couch and he said, "You haven't touched the kettlebell in uh, in a while. <laughs> you know, is, are you gonna are you gonna do any any workouts?" I've been doing a tr- I had been doing a tremendous amount of walking though because uh, you know I think that's a lot of our sanity right now is getting out and walking around our neighborhoods. Anyway, uh, so I um, I acknowledged the fact that he was right and that I hadn't uh, gotten a really good intense workout in a while. And um, th- so uh, I was dealing with this. We're going to call it a depression. I started getting out and doing some uh, intense workouts, not as intense as uh, as the four barrel workouts, the four B thirty workouts that I had been doing, just because uh, you know we don't have uh, an echo bike or uh, something like that at our disposal. Um, but uh, I started moving again, and uh, that had a massive impact on my mental well being. Yeah, so. that that's great, and I think it it's worth mentioning that. The most important thing is not really the intensity of your workout. It's that you keep the habit. Yeah. I mean, stress on the body and the mind is stress. It's it's one unit. So if you're stressed out about a life situation, a work situation, a romantic situation, that's going to affect uh, your readiness and how well you're going to recover from exercise. So if you're enduring a really stressful situation, it's maybe not the best to do some kind of really butt kicking workout. But it's key that you keep doing a workout, right. something. Well, and I think I think too that you know not only the 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 fact that it you know intense or not, uh, what it did do also is uh, when it was time for us to meditate and go to sleep, uh, I was able to do that. You know, because as Dustin <laughs> can remember, when uh, you know when the whole world turned upside down. You know, I was kind of up and down all night yeah. and uh, you know, just not really able to get the kind of restful sleep that I um, had been having a lot of success with, you know. So you expend all that energy in a workout. Not only do you feel better uh, in the moment or, you know, getting your blood pumping, getting a little sweat going, but you're able to sleep like you should. Right, right, for sure. So that's one way I've adapted my training. Um and I use intensity not in kind of the sports phys- physiological definition, but as in the way most people use it as density. So like those 4B30 workouts were extremely dense, 21-minute uh, EMOM with like kind of short rest periods. It's a very dense workout. And I haven't been training with, with that density because that I love it. I love training like that, but the added stress load of the situation, I, 
I don't think I it would be the most beneficial for me to have that added density. Um, another way I've adapted my training, like my actual training of uh, clients, is everything's online now. And so when I'm doing a, a class, a kettle, the kettlebell class, Inner Spring Yoga Kettlebell, or the Inner Spring Yoga PE, I'm actually doing the class live with the participants because it's online. Whereas before, I would do all the classes but on my own. Um, so that's different. And so I have to, I've had to rearrange my schedule uh, and kind of think about my training load and recovery and all that as well. Um, so that's how I've adapted the classes in my training. Um, what about uh, nutrition and eating? Has it affected that for you at all? Like, have you had to change anything really? Did you notice well, any like habits arising? <laughs> I think the biggest thing that happened uh, is that I, as soon as quarantine happened, uh, I instantly lost... Uh, 11 pounds. <laughs> what do you attribute that uh, well, to? Well, I mean, you know, because, uh, you know, we're really dialed in with our nutrition, I think, in our house, you know, so there's no, uh, except on the very rare occasion, there's no um, cheats in our home, you know, so there's no cookies, there's no really, I mean, aside from some, some potatoes, maybe, uh, there's no real, like, carby things that are around, you know, um, or things to snack on, you know, except for vegetables and fruit. But uh, when I was um, out and about in the world, uh, I, you know, if I had 45 minutes in between uh, classes that I was teaching at UofL, I would, uh, you know, run to, get a, run to get a lunch or something. One of my favorite places to go was Noodles and Company uh, because, and I, you know, spoke with pride about the fact that I ate zoodles while I was there, which is zucchini, zucchini noodles. So I wasn't, I wasn't eating a big plate of spaghetti or something. I was eating a big plate of vegetables. Uh, well, what I realized is probably, uh, that was covered in butter, uh, some sort of sugar sauce, uh, extra salt, maybe some sort of additive or something that was causing me to maybe, you know, retain water or whatever it was, you know, there was something in there that was, uh, probably not keeping me um, or, you know, keeping a little bit extra weight on me. Um, and you know, then, then, then just like the, the regular sort of office bullshit that happens. So like, you know, uh, it's Halloween. So, you know, I get you a bag of candy or something. So you pop a piece of candy in your mouth. You think that's oh, just one little thing. You it know, all adds up. It all adds up. And so, uh, I instantly lost Yeah. I think it was 11 pounds. Um, and, uh, so I want to say that it was probably because of that, not because I was slipping into some sort of black hole of depression, uh, with realizing that the world was going to be shifted for a while. Um, it was just the fact that I was eliminating all that crap from my diet. Yeah, we also weren't doing our weekly Dragon King's Daughter sushi extravaganza. Binge. That, was, that happened every Saturday. <laughs> every Saturday, every Saturday post-workout. Sunday. Yeah. yeah, which is a tremendous amount of calories. Yeah. Even though I stayed away from anything fried, it was just white rice and yeah. raw fish mostly. Um, but still, I mean, I would eat five rolls, so it was just that calorie deficit. Yeah. I mean, I got down to the lowest weight since I've been, like, since, like, high school or, like, right after boot camp. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've, <laughs> it's I've, unbelievable. I've, yeah, I've, I've, my weight has been down, but, you know, I, uh, you know, but, like, the, so my daily routine now is, you know, I, I eat a... So nutritious breakfast and uh, usually a protein shake because I have trouble kind of getting in on my protein and mm -hmm. then um, just a regular dinner, you know, and uh, 
I would say that my coffee intake is probably down as well. Huh. Yeah, because normally, I mean, our routine is that I, I have a pretty big, a big Yeti mug uh, full of coffee in the morning uh, before I head out. And then um, on my way to the university, I would get another large or venti coffee uh, to take me through. And then sometimes I have an espresso machine in my office. Sometimes I'd have another little bump about uh, 3 p.m. or so. Yeah, yeah, my coffee intakes probably went up. Just, yeah. I'll drink, I'll sit here and drink a whole pot. Just, it's not, <laughs> I don't yeah. think that's optimal or healthy, but... No. Hey, I'm working on yeah. it. You know. And I would say that probably hydration. My hydration is probably better right now than it has been uh, because I, when I teach, I sometimes forget to drink water. Yeah. So. And, you know, I think we're talking about nutrition and, and I think it gets beaten to death, you know, diet and, and you know, what, what are you on? You know, are you mining your macros, all this and that? But no one really talks about, like, your mental diet. I was uh, talking to a friend the other day <clears throat> on the phone and – I had asked him if he saw Tiger King on Netflix, and he said he hadn't, and he, he just wasn't going to watch it because he just he kind of just uh, knew sort of like what it was about, and he's like he just didn't want to expose himself to it. And I started thinking about that. Um, you know, I think I know I used to just consume media and uh, news, and, and kind of had like an attitude like this doesn't really affect me what yeah. I'm taking in. And I think we really realized uh, during this that it does. It okay. does affect me. And I think it affected you too. We watched, we binged out on Tiger King on Netflix and Ozark, mm-hmm. which I both, I thought they were both excellent. However, fascinating pieces. Yeah. It was like a hangover after it. Yeah. Mentally. Yeah. It made me feel pretty disgusting. I mean, both shows, you're, you're watching people who are pretty horrible <laughs> or it's there's nothing real redeeming about it yeah especially like the tiger king was super depressing it was like there was no like uh yeah there's nothing the, the, there's the, nothing positive or redeeming about the story it was it was yeah. animal abuse it was human abuse it was like people in like very dire drug s- abuse circumstances yeah. drug abuse and 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 criminality and yeah. it just wasn't it wasn't mentally healthy. And then Ozark uh, had a definitely a certain amount of violence. Well, yeah. And even yeah. though Ozark's fictionalized, it still had that nasty feeling. I mean, you know, it's about, like, murder and, like, criminality. Yeah. Um, and on the opposite hand, we watched that Mr. Rogers movie, which made me feel fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's like we should all aspire to be like Mr. Rogers. Yeah, that was a really, that was a really excellent film. You know, and I, I you know, one of the things that we're consuming right now, uh, watching right now, binging out on right now is Mozart in the Jungle. Mm. You know, and it's, it's a, it's a... On Amazon Prime. On on Amazon Prime, but it's, you know, it has a real kind of like, maybe like a little bit of a rom-com kind of feeling to it, you know, so it's really uh, lightweight, you know, easy watching human drama type of easy It's fun, there's lots of laughs. But one thing that I will say is, uh, as I was, you know, sort of coping with looking into the future about what, you know, what the world's going to look like on the other side of uh, all of this garbage that we're dealing with. As a musician, uh, that's a really hard prospect uh, to, 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 to think about, a hard pill to swallow, because um, you have to start thinking about, are, are people going to um, 
come back to the theater? Are people going to sit elbow to elbow now and watch operas? Are people going to come in and uh, wait in line uh, at a ticket booth ready to watch you sing a recital? I don't know, you know? And, and so I was, uh, all of those things are swirling in my head about what, what's going to happen to my world uh, as a musician. And um, I started getting pretty discouraged, started thinking about, you know, what if this goes away? And of course, in, in my heart of hearts, I know it, that will never go away, but uh, I started doubting myself. And I will say that just from consuming Mozart in the Jungle, which uh, has, um, you know, it's really fictionalized. It's actors playing classical musicians, you know, so there's a lot of funny things that they say or how they move or act or try to play the oboe or try to play the whatever. Um, but uh, being around that and consuming uh, them, you know, listening to them talk about composers that I love and adore and, and, and watching them do performances in, in halls that I know and love. And, you know, it's, uh, it really has been inspiring to me to focus in, get back to start making plans for, uh, for future performances. Um, you know, it's just, I don't want to say dopey show, but it's, you know, just, a, it's just an easy, fun, light show. And all of a sudden has this massive impact on, uh, my creative output, you know, just because it makes me, it is exposing me to the things that I have loved so extremely dearly my entire life and watching it being played out in front of me. And that inspired me to, you know, start working on my next project, which is a recording project. That's so, great. Yeah. And so like, that's, that's how we've kind of adapted and overcame the situation with our media intake. We, we started off watching Ozark and Tiger King, noticed the, the impact it had on us. Switched it over, Mr. Rogers, Mozart in the Jungle, and just being more mindful. Because, you know, sometimes I, you know, I love like a good Tarantino movie or like some sort of like ultra violent film. And now I'll see something that will catch my eye and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pass on that. You know, like that's, it's just like I'm starting to try to treat my media intake like I would food where, yeah, you know, you see some ice cream or cookie or something and it's not a cheat meal day. So you're like, yeah, that, that's kind of drawing me towards it. But you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to pass over that. It's also funny that, you know, the, when directors are dealing with things like violence and stuff, the things that I find the most, uh, I guess, digestible, you know, we, you were talking about Tarantino. Uh, one of the movies that we've watched numerous times now it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah um, I love that movie you know it's a great movie but it, it's almost like the violence is it like rides this line of effective for the storytelling but also absurd it's you know, so over the top it's so over the top and you know we just watched this uh, I just read actually that it was the I think one of the biggest premieres on Netflix ever uh, was that Chris Hemsworth movie Extraction Really? Yeah, it's the, one of the biggest uh, premieres on Netflix that's ever happened. Probably because everyone is sitting in front of their TVs every night. Yeah. No, uh, but same thing. You know, I mean, like the violence was so. Hollywood. It was like a kung fu movie. Yeah, it was like so Hollywoodized, and it was so like choreographed. I mean, it was you know it sucked me in. You know, but it, it wasn't like the kind of like human torment that we saw in Ozark. You right. Know? Not to say that Ozark is bad because it was a really compelling piece nice of one. theater. Actually, I mean, like. Some of the some of the acting performances in that show, Laura Linney, Jason Bateman, uh, whoever plays Ruth Langford, I forget her name. Uh, I mean, just just absolutely masterful in in their in their delivery and their performances, but um, really showing human torment versus yeah. you know a shoot 'em up 
kind of kind of kind of like no character development. It's just like fighting and shooting stuff, kind of like, like a yeah. Rambo movie or something. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I mean, my yoga has changed a lot. You know, I was going to, I made it a point to go to at least two classes at Inner Spring Yoga in the studio per week. And I mean, of course, there's no in-studio classes anymore. So I've had to adapt to uh, practicing yoga, you know, on on Zoom, and I have, and that's it's been great. It's just you know, you got to remember to practice. At first, I I didn't do it for a couple of weeks. I did it on my own every day, but it's. Yeah. I found that in just having the couple of weeks of just doing it on my own every day and not having a, a class. That the class, you need the class. I do. Yeah. Like, if you want to progress in it and you really want to, um, I don't know, I feel like to get the best effect from it, yeah. I need a class. I need yeah. to go to some classes. So I've started doing that again. And we've, Abby and I have now started teacher training, which we had our first weekend and that was online. Yeah. Um, so it was good. And hopefully our next weekend will be in person. But, you know, nothing, everything's up in there right now. But yeah. that's been really wonderful. Um, and so that, that kind of takes me to what else I've had to adapt. And that's, I've had to adapt my meditation practice, my formal meditation practice. Um, you know, along with this quarantine, uh, you know, I had a, a friend, an old friend that recently died. And then I found out about an old friend who actually committed suicide back in 2012. And I had no idea. Um, his mom actually posted something on a Facebook page and, and me and some, uh, other guys, he's a, he was a veteran. Uh, we, we didn't know about it and, uh, found out. So that was a, that was a hell of a punch in the gut, you know, and that really affected my, my stress levels. And I noticed it, you know, I mean, I wear that aura ring and again, your HRV, your heart rate variability, it'll reflect stress, whether you did a an insane kettlebell workout or went on a super long run, you know, the next day it'll show your readiness. Like it's lower because you, you stressed your body with exercise, but it also shows mental stress. And, you know, I had taken a rest day and it was, I kind of just found out about that. And, uh, man, my HRV tanked and my mood tanked and it was, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's something to work through, you know, it, it definitely affected me. And so, you know, I kept working out, I kept doing my yoga, it helped, but it, it wasn't quite enough to, it didn't feel like it was bringing me back enough. So I switched my meditation practice. I, uh, I generally practice uh, Vipassana meditation every single night, sitting a formal practice uh, or mindfulness meditation is what it's called. And I switched it up to uh, loving kindness meditation or what's referred to as metta m-e-t-t-a because the the mindfulness meditation if you think of it like a like a stimulus just like a workout right there's certain ways you can train that will increase strength more there's certain ways you can train that will increase your cardiorespiratory fitness more well there's different types of meditation if you just kind of take the mysticism out of it and the kind of philosophy and just look at it as a pure stimulus on the, on the body, the mind, they have different effects. And, and it's just like training. If you mix it up all the time, you're not, you're not going to get the, the, the training effect you're looking for, you know. So I generally practice 
mindfulness meditation. And for me, I've noticed that that generally results in equanimity or space where I'm, because during mindfulness meditation, I'm sitting, I'm observing my breath, I'm observing thoughts that come and go, I'm observing moods, I'm observing basically everything and just keeping space, trying to focus back on the breath. Um, and so that gives me, and it builds that space where you, you notice you're more aware of everything in the moment. And so it gave me the awareness that, man, I'm, I'm pretty down, you know, and I'm not really coming back mood-wise, uh, just in general. So I switched to Meta because Meta will, for me, increase the mood, positive feelings. It'll increase my baseline. Um, and pretty quickly, I've noticed. Um, and so, and just after like a couple days of doing it, 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 it's really a potent practice. And I've, I haven't done it in a while, but I've, I've definitely needed it. I've adapted my meditation that way. And so I want to read uh, from a book called Altered Traits um, and kind of give some context about this. Um, you know, kind of just, this is a book written by academics that it'll kind of give you just kind of an idea about the different types of meditation. Um, because, you know, you hear meditation and, and a lot of folks are like, they think it's one thing, but there's a ton of different types with different training effects. So I'm going to read, to give a little context, before we dig uh, deeper into loving kindness or meta-meditation. Altered traits. Science reveals how meditation changes your mind, brain, and body. This is by Daniel Goleman, PhD, known for his best-selling books on emotional intelligence. Has a long-standing interest in meditation dating back to his two years in India as a graduate student at Harvard. He is a psychologist who for many years reported on the brain and behavioral sciences for the New York Times. The other author is Richard J. Davidson, PhD, is the William James and Villas Research Professor of Psychology and Psychiatry directs a brain lab and founded the Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He's published more than 320 articles and edited 14 books. So this is a section of this book, page 262, called Typologies, Guarding Meditation. Neem Karoli Baba, the remarkable yogi Dan met on his first visit to India, often stayed at Hindu temples and ashrams dedicated to Hanuman, the monkey god. His followers practiced bhakti, the yoga of devotion dominant in the parts of India where he stayed. While he never talked about his own practice history, bits leaked out now and then. Word had it he had lived for a long time as a jungle yogi. Some say he also practiced in an, in an underground cave for years. His meditations were devotional to Ram, the hero of the Indian epic Ramayana. He could sometimes be heard reciting Ram, 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 under his breath, or counting the mantra on his fingers. He was also said to have traveled to Mecca in the 1930s with a Muslim devotee. To Westerners, he praised Christ. For two years, he took under his wing and became close friends with Lama Norla, who had fled Tibet for India in 1957, long before there were settlements for such refugees. Lama Norla was a retreat master in one of the very meditation lineages that Mingyur Rinpoche has practiced in. 
If someone was following a given inner path, Neem Karoli always encouraged it. From his perspective, the main point was that you do your practice, not to try to find the very best. Whenever Neem Karoli was asked about which path was best, his answer was subek Hindi for they are all one. Everyone has different preferences, needs, and the like. Just choose one and plunge in. In that view, contemplative paths are more or less the same, a doorway beyond ordinary experience. At a practical level, all forms of meditation share a common core of mind to training, learning to let go of the myriad distractions that flow through the mind and to focus on one object of attention or stance of awareness. But as we get more familiar with the mechanics of the various paths, they divide and cluster together. For instance, someone silently reciting a mantra and ignoring everything else deploys different mental operations than does a person who mindfully observes passing thoughts. And at the finest grained level, each path in its particulars is quite unique. A student of bhakti yoga who sings devotional bhajans to a deity may share some aspects, but not others, with a Vajrayana, Vajrayana <laughs> practitioner who silently generates an image of a deity, like the compassionate green Tara, along with trying to generate the qualities that go with that image. We should note that the three levels of practice well studied so far, beginner, long-term, and yogi, are grouped around different kinds of meditation mainly mindfulness for beginners, vipassana for long-term, with some studies of Zen too, and for the yogis, the Tibetan paths known as Dzogchen and Mahamudra. As it happens, our own practice history has followed this rough tra trajectory. And in our experience, there are significant differences among these three methods. Mindfulness, for instance, has the meditator witness whatever thoughts and feelings come and go in the mind. Vipassana starts there, then transitions into a meta-awareness of the processes of mind, not the shifting contents. And Dzogchen and Mahamudra include both in early stages and a host of other meditation types, but end in a non-dual stance, resting in a more subtle level of meta-awareness. This raises a scientific question about the vector of transformation. Can we extrapolate insights from mindfulness and apply them to vipassana, a traditional segue, and from, and from vipassana to the Tibetan practices? Taxonomies help science organize such questions, and Dan attempted one for meditation. His, immersions, his immersion in the Visuddhimagga offered him a lens for categorizing the bewildering melange of meditation states and methods he encountered in his wanderings through India. He built a classification around the difference between one-pointed concentration and the more free-floating awareness of mindfulness. A major divide within Vipassana practice and also in the Tibetan paths, but with very different meanings, it gets complicated. A more inclusive and more current typology by Ritchie with his colleagues Cortland Dahl and Antonio and Antoine Lutz organizes thinking about meditation clusters on the basis of a body of findings in cognitive science and clinical psychology. They see three categories, 
Attentional. These meditations focus on training aspects of attention, whether in concentration, as in zeroing in on the breath, a mindful observation of experience, a mantra or meta-awareness, as in open presence. Constructive. Cultivating virtuous qualities, like loving-kindness, typifies these methods. Deconstructive. As with insight practice, these methods use self-observation to pierce the nature of experience. They include non-dual approaches that shift into a mode where ordinary cognition no longer dominates. Such a widely inclusive typology makes glaringly clear how meditation research is focused on a narrow subset of methods and ignored the much larger universe of techniques. The bulk of research has been done on MBSR, that's mindfulness, mindfulness-based stress reduction, and related mindfulness-based approaches. And there have been many studies of loving-kindness and TM, transcendental meditation, plus a handful on Zen. But the many varieties of meditation beyond these may well target their own range of brain circuitry and cultivate their unique set of particular qualities. We hope that as contemplative science grows, researchers will study a wider variety of meditations, not just a small branch of the entire tree. While findings so far are encouraging, there could well be others that we have not yet even a hint of. The wider the net, the more we will understand about how meditation training shapes the brain and mind. What, for example, might be the benefits of the meditative whirling practice in some schools of Sufism? or the devotional singing in Hinduism's bhakti branch, or of the analytic meditation practiced by some Tibetan Buddhists, as well as, some, as well as by some schools of Hindu yogis. But whatever the particulars of a meditation path, they share one goal in common, altered traits. So that was kind of a context. I feel like that was a good giving the idea of meditation and its effects some context from like a scientific perspective and that type of language. I think it, that book really helped me understand and sort out um, a lot about meditation. Yeah. What do you think about it? It was good. I had to, I mean, I'd have to, I think go in there and read it just cause it's a, I think it's a lot of information for me to, to uh, just hear, go back and listen to that section again in the podcast once we publish this. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, uh, I, I guess one, one of the things that probably a minute detail that I, that sort of jumped out at me in that though, is the idea that sort of mindfulness is sort of observing, uh, yeah, passing thoughts, right? So just seeing those things. And then yeah. it seems like loving kindness is very focused on one specific action, you know, and, uh, that sort of meta type of thing. I don't know where that was in there. But. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, it's, it's two different techniques. So, And they broke it up into attentional types of uh, meditation. So that, would be, be, so, so that would be intentional. So the idea of loving kindness and meta is a very intentional. You're sort of Attentional saying. with an A. Oh, a- attentional. A-T-T-E-N-T-I-O-N-A-L. That would be like mindfulness. and right. Mindfulness yeah. is attentional. You're observing. Right. Um, and... To use Buddhist language, so well, what are you observing? Well, there's four foundations of mindfulness, right? No. And if and if you go through them, the first foundation, mindfulness of the body, physical sensations to include your posture, 
So what's mindfulness? You're paying attention on purpose right at that present moment to those things, right? Okay. The next thing, thoughts, right? Your thoughts, your thoughts are not you. They're like a biological process that's just running. So you just notice it. Oh, I'm thinking about what I had for dinner. And, and you don't judge it, positive or negative. You just let that pass, and another one will come. You guide your attention back to your breath or whatever. Um, emotions, feelings and emotions. You know, you'll have feelings and emotions come up. You just observe it. And then the last one are patterns as they arise from moment to moment. So those are the four foundations of mindfulness according to Buddhism. So that'd be an attentional type of meditation, They, the way they divide it. And so... The meta or the loving kindness meditation, what I've switched to recently, would be constructive. Yes. Yeah. So they said cultivating virtuous qualities, um, and so it's a different it's a different type. You're not paying attention to your posture. You're not paying attention to thoughts and emotions. Um, and the way I practice, I'll we'll just go through the way I practice it, and then I'm going to read a guided uh, meditation from Ramdas. Uh, so the loving kindness meditation, and again, I've noticed the effect of this as being a really positive increase in my baseline mood. Um, so you, you sit, get comfortable, and you start to focus. And I use, I use a mantra of love, peace, happiness. And I start off with myself. And I also use a visualization, a visualization, 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 visualization. (laughs) (laughs) So I visualize myself with love, happiness, and peace. And then I move out to someone that I feel tremendous love for. Um, that I feel tremendous love for and from, and I visualize them, love, happiness, peace, on the inhale, and at least one inhale and exhale, I stay on that person. You can stay for, sometimes I do one to three breaths. Then I move out to someone that's like a casual friend, and I do it for them, love, happiness, peace. And I see them in that state. And then I move out to someone who I don't really know, but I have contact with. And I like to use people that I encounter at the grocery store. I'll look at their name tag when we go. And then, you know, it's someone I see. I don't know them. Say, hi, how you doing? They recognize you. And I'll do it for them. And then I move out. And I keep going out further away from my circle to people that I don't have a favorable impression of that I don't like and I do it for them and that's hard that's 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 the work you know Um, and then if you can't do it if you can't do it for that person you keep going out and out and out and out and if you can't do it for that person you jump back you go back one step and that's it and you just keep doing that you know I set a timer you know we do 20 minutes generally every night Um, so that's how I practice Meta meditation, or it's also called loving kindness meditation. Um, 
other, sometimes it's referred to as Christ love, you know? I like to think of it as unilateral love. It's just you're loving one way regardless. You're not looking for anything reciprocal or anything like that. Um, it's also considered that quality is one that can be cultivated and it's considered immeasurable in the path to uh, nirvana in Buddhism, right? It's considered an immeasurable quality that you can, uh, you can cultivate. So that's how I do it personally. Um, I'm going to read an instruction. We'll close it out from uh, the book Walking Each Other Home. I love this book. I've read from it a million times on here. Uh, Conversations on Loving and Dying by Ram Dass and Mirabi Bush. And this is just will be a guided loving-kindness meditation from this book. So you can join along and try it out for yourself if you're listening to this. Loving-kindness meditation instruction. Find a comfortable posture. One of the aims in this meditation is to feel good. So make your posture relaxed and comfortable. Then begin to focus your attention around the solar plexus and your chest area, your heart center. Breathe loving kindness in and out of that area as if all experience is happening from there. Anchor your mindfulness only on the sensations at your heart center. Begin by generating a feeling of kindness toward yourself. And as you continue to breathe in and out, use one of these traditional phrases or another you choose yourself. Say or think them several times. May I be free from inner and outer harm and danger. May I be safe and protected. May I be free of mental suffering and distress. May I be happy. May I be free of physical pain and suffering. May I be healthy and strong. May I be able to live in this world happily, peacefully, joyfully, with ease. Next, direct your attention to a person who most invites a feeling of pure, unconditional loving kindness in you. The first person is usually a mentor, a benefactor, an elder, a parent. Repeat the phrases for this person now. May you be safe and protected. After feeling strong, unconditional love for this first person, focus your attention on a person you regard as a dear friend and repeat the phrases again for this person, breathing in and out of your heart center. 
then move on to a neutral person, someone for whom you feel neither strong, like, nor dislike. As you repeat the phrases for this person, allow yourself to feel tenderness and loving care for their welfare. Next, focus on someone with whom you have difficulty and repeat the phrases for this person. If you have trouble doing this, before each phrase you can say, to the best of my ability, I wish that you be. If you begin to feel ill will toward this person, return to the first benefactor and let the loving kindness arise again. Then return to this difficult person. After meditating on, this, on the difficult person, radiate loving kindness to all beings. May all beings be safe, happy, healthy, live joyously with ease. Namaste.